All right, I'm going to ask you to stand for the reading of the Word today. Don't always do that, but I'm going to ask if you will stand and take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Luke. <clears throat> the Gospel of Luke. I would have enjoyed having Taranda here this morning, but we're going to see what the Word of the Lord has to say to us today. We're, we pray that God will touch her. Luke chapter 5, if you would find it in your Bibles, and they're going to put it on the big screens here, the wall screens, because I want you to read it with me, if you would, please. So it was, as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and <clears throat> And he sat down and taught the multitudes from, stop one second, just notice that. He sat down, because I'm going to tell you why in just a minute, and taught the multitudes from the boat. Verse 4, when he had stopped speaking, come with me, when he had stopped speaking, launch out into the deep and let you. But Simon answered and said to him, Okay, I'm going to stop you again. I want us to get that phrase in our mind. Nevertheless, at your word, I will. Will you say that? Nevertheless. Just one more time, just to really get it in our hearts this morning. Nevertheless, I will let down the net. Let's go on with verse 6. And when... When Simon Peter saw it, he And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Jesus said to Simon, do not. Repeat with me again, at your word, I will. But as they hear the word of the Lord, you may be seated. And may God add his blessing to the reading of his holy word today. <clears throat> Lord, at your word, I will. I don't have to understand it. I don't have to like it. But if it's your word, I will. Have you ever had to do something that you really did not want to do? Raise your hand if you've ever had to do something you really did not want to do. When our children were smaller, maybe elementary age, I would ask them to do something like take out the trash or clean up their room, something like that. It was often that I would get a response like this, but Daddy, I don't like doing that. And my loving fatherly response to them always was something like this, aw, 
That's okay. You don't have to like it. You just have to do it, right? You don't have to like it. You just have to do it. Becky and I had occasion here a couple of weeks ago to have, uh, it was a lady and her adult son in our home. They were looking at an item in our house, and we did not know them. They're not part of Bethesda, not part of Bethesda Christian School, not a part of this campus at all. We had never met, them, met her before. She, turns out she was an elementary um, principal at a local ISD. And so after we'd kind of talked about what they came to talk about, I said, so you're your principal, so how's your school year going? And I began to hear um, some of the challenges that teachers and educators are facing uh, in this particular time. And <clears throat> she gave us a couple of stories that were um, pretty astonishing to me, but the standout to me was she said, we had one uh, boy who came to us and enrolled this year, and by age, he would be a third grader but we came to find out he had never been to school. It also seemed as though there had not been any um, homeschooling involved, which would have been the first thing you might have concluded. And when this elementary principal asked the, uh, the mother why he's just now coming to school, the answer was, you know, he just didn't want to come to school. Would that have worked at your house? Was I raised on another planet? The house I was raised in, it didn't matter if I wanted to go to church or not. It didn't matter if I was actually sick or not. We, we got a story we know we say around here. Of course, I was involved in music from a very young age, and my folks were counting on me to play the piano and direct the choir. And I'd say, Dad, I'm sick. I'll put a bucket beside the piano, go to church, God will heal you. That's the way it's going to work. <laughs> Anybody else grow up with that kind of... Okay, so I'm not the only one. There are just some times when you got to do something that you don't want to do. On your job, you've probably been given assignments that you just, just didn't like doing. In your home, growing up as a child, like I said, or as, as a husband or a wife or a brother or a sister, you've been assigned things to do that you just did not want to do. But even though... You may not have wanted to do it. For some reason, you did it anyway. Maybe you did it out of a sense of obligation. Maybe you did it out of a sense of, uh, of duty or possibly because you feared the consequences of what might happen if you didn't. Perhaps out of respect for the person who was asking you to do it. No matter what the reason was, all of us uh, at some time in our lives have been called upon to do what we did not or do not want to do, and that's exactly what we see in the text that we have read this morning. That's just exactly the scene that presents itself in the verses that we've read. Simon Peter is called upon to do something that he does not want to do. When the calling of God comes to your life, Please know this, that it's not unusual for God to call you to do what perhaps you think you can't do, or even if you can possibly do it, maybe you don't want to do it. How many know that's possibly true? Think of the epic call of Moses. In the book of Exodus, God calls Moses to do that which Moses thinks he's not qualified to do. 
In Isaiah chapter 6, God calls Isaiah to do that which he thinks he's unworthy to do. He not, he's not worthy. In Acts chapter 9, God calls Paul, whose name was Saul, out of his life of persecuting the church. Each one of these, and including Peter from our text this morning, does not believe that they are worthy of the calling. There's something about them that is inadequate, that is not worthy, and causes them to want to, to reject the idea of God's calling and God's task that he's assigning them. But let me remind you of the little phrase that we've probably heard a lot, God does not call the equipped, he equips the called. God does not call the qualified, he qualifies those he calls. I need a bigger amen to that this morning. You're going to have to talk back to me. Even if you don't want to do what he's calling you to do, even if you think it's something that you're not up to doing, uh, even if you think you're unworthy to do it, but church, if it's his word to you, your response ought to be, Nevertheless, at your word, I will. Let's take just a little stroll around the text this morning. Hopefully you still have your Bibles open because I want you to follow along with me. By this time, uh, when this situation takes place with the boat and the fish, by this time the reputation of Jesus had spread far and wide. He's, um, he's already healed Peter's mother-in-law of a fever He's gone into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and demonstrated right in their presence that the word he just read from the prophecy of Isaiah has been fulfilled in their hearing, that he's come to preach the gospel to the poor and to set at liberty them that are bruised and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. So, you know, he reads that scripture and then he hands the book back to the attendant in the temple and says, this scripture is now fulfilled in your hearing. Well, when you do something like that, your reputation begins to grow. People say, have you heard about this Jesus? He's been healing the sick. He's demonstrated that he is the Son of God. He's performed many miracles. And so with all of this happening, it should be no surprise that throngs of people and multitudes are coming out to, to hear him. So Jesus is on the Lake of Gennesaret. The other um, synoptic gospels call it the Sea of Galilee. Luke calls it the, the Lake of Gennesaret. And the crowds... Thousands of them have come to hear Jesus preach the word of God. Jesus gets in the boat, and as is the custom in the Greco-Roman world and the Jewish world, the teacher, the rabbi, sits down. That's why I drew your attention to it as you were going through it. Sits down and actually reclines to teach them. And I've decided that's what I need on the platform. I need a recliner right here. Maybe that would make me a better preacher if I, had, if I could recline and, and preach to you. I probably would fall asleep as a problem with that. In this situation, there are so many people in the crowd that Jesus gets into the boat, as you read, and asks Simon to push out a little from the land. And the, the waves from the lake act as an, a, an acoustic loudspeaker and carry his voice to the throngs of people who are in this rather natural amphitheater at the Lake of Gennesaret. And he preaches to them 
the word of God. Wouldn't it have been something to have been there and hear Jesus, who is the word, preach the word of God? That would have been so wonderful to be there. Well, I hope that you came here this morning to hear our marvelous choir and music ministry and be inspired, and many of you did. And while I trust that, that you came to lift your voice in spirited worship with the body of believers at Bethesda, this, this house loves to worship, I also hope that one of the reasons that you got up this morning, got dressed, and drove to 4700 North Beach is to hear the Word of God. Yeah. Am I right about that? Because I want to remind you today, there is power not in the preacher, not in the pulpit, but there is power in the Word of God. If you don't believe the Word has power, then let me challenge you. Next time your soul is distressed and your spirit is out of sorts, just open the Word of God and read where it says, weeping may endure for the night. But joy comes in the morning, and that'll set your soul on fire. I had uh, one of those days this week. I think it was Wednesday, actually. Just a tough day. Discouragement, overwhelming, uh, you know, just, uh, just things hitting you and dragging you down. It's everywhere your eye looks. You've, oh, that's not good news there, and this is not good news there. And just, just overwhelming and all the stuff that can come with all of that. And uh, my daughter happened to call me that evening, and I, she must have, either she detected something in my voice or her mother tipped her off. I'm still not sure which way it went. But she said, Dad, what's wrong? And I just began, you know, I said, you know, there's, there's a lot of things, and it's almost too much to go into, but, but thanks, you know, thanks for, for caring. She said, well, so what are you going to do about it? I said, you know what, babe? I'm going to wait for the new mercies that come in the morning. Because I believe the word of the Lord, that new every morning are his mercies, and great is his faithfulness. There's power in the word of God, Bethesda. And I'm asking you to agree with me on that this morning. How about when your enemies think they have you trapped? Why don't you open the book, open the word, and read where it says, Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Neither be envious against the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut off like grass. That'll light your fire. May I remind you this morning that the Word of God is alive, and it is life. It is active. It is powerful. It is dynamic. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. And as believers, we are reminded by the Apostle Paul in Ephesians to be regularly and daily cleansed by the washing of water with the Word. Amen? That's why the pastors of this fellowship are diligent to be sure there's a, a, a comprehensive Bible reading program that you can be a part of. We believe in doing everything that we can, that there's removing obstacles that would keep you from being diligent in reading of the Word. How about a big old hallelujah for that? So the Bible says that when Jesus finishes teaching, he says to Peter, who we know is the owner of the boat, he says, launch out into the deep. Yes, old-timers, that song is in my head right now. Becky probably knows what page it was in the hymnal because <clears throat> that was her specialty. Launch out into the deep. Let the shoreline go. Go a little further into the deep. Now, something that I find interesting is the early church, which was very fond of allegory, they, uh, it alleg allegorizes verse 4. Look with me again at, at the fourth verse of this fifth chapter of Luke. 
When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. The early church allegorized this verse like this. They saw this verse 4 as a command to forsake a safe harbor, to get away from the place of safe harbor and launch out into the deep where there is no safety except for the word of the Lord. Launch out into the deep, get out of safe waters, and go to a place where the only help you can find is the word of the Lord. Boy, I knew that would go over big this morning. You would rather me preach a sermon of comfort. You would rather me preach a sermon to talk about how smooth sailing is going to be, how safe and secure everything is always going to be. But there are times, and please forgive this challenge. I'm not asking for you to forgive me. I'm going to say it to you anyway. You've got to have this challenge as believers. We all do that there are times when God is calling us to let the shoreline go Launch out into the deep where you've got nothing to go on except the Word of God and the calling of God upon your life. Get out of the safety of your comfortable environment. This is for somebody today. And trust God for something that only God can do. Uh, the reason why you may feel that you aren't accomplishing much might just be because you're playing it too safe. Might just be that you need to find a new level of trusting God. As Brent just saying, trust him and believe. I want to remind you today, church, our God is a big God. He has created a world much larger than the world you live in. He is an awesome God. And let me just, just to underscore this point, let me point out something to you the psalmist says in Psalm 107. Those who go down to the sea in ships, who do business on great waters, they see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. That ought to speak to somebody. Those who go down to the sea in ships, who do business on great waters, they see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the, the deep. It's safe near the land. I understand that. It's comfortable near the land, and, and, and we like our comfort. We like our safety. But Jesus said in this situation, and I think it's, it's in the Word of God by, by the authority of the Holy Spirit for a reason, to launch out into the deep where your only hope is my Word. Here's a good translation to that. Stop worrying about what you are doing and trust God to do what He's doing. Stop asking God to bless what you are doing, and let's learn how to do what God is blessing instead. Amen. Dan, that's good preaching. They're not awake, but that's good preaching. All right. Let's stroll on down to verse 5, where we see that it talks to us about a night of struggle. Verse 4 again, when he had stopped speaking, Jesus said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But then verse 5, Peter tells Jesus, Peter tells Jesus, Simon Peter tells Jesus, 
But master, we have toiled all night. Let me just elaborate that a bit. We have worked our fingers to the bone. And by the way, we are expert fishermen here. The fish are biting at night, and in the morning when the sun is out, they can see the net. And so they go deeper in the water in the morning, but they come up to the top at at night. We have worked all night, and and by the way, we, we know what we're doing. We're expert fishermen. You're just a carpenter. I don't think I would have said that. Jesus begins Peter's journey of discipleship, not by calling him away from his profession, but by challenging him to a bolder practice of his profession. Shall I say that one more time? Jesus began Peter's journey of discipleship, not by calling him away from his profession. It's going to sting just a little bit but by challenging him to a bolder practice of his profession. It's as if he was saying, I know, Jesus was saying, essentially, I know what you are, but I'm going to make you better at it. I don't want you to stop doing what you're doing. I'm going to just teach you how to do it better. I I, I don't want to take you out of the classroom. I'm just going to make you a better Christian teacher. I don't want to take you out of the office. I just... I just want to make you a saved coworker in that office. I'm not trying to take you off your job. I'm trying to make you better at what your job is. I'm trying to anoint you in your profession. So thank God for school teachers, but hallelujah for a school teacher who's submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank God for a lawyer, but hallelujah for a saved lawyer. I'm resisting saying the word oxymoron, saved lawyer. Oh, I'm just, I'm fighting those words so bad. Thank God for a politician, but hallelujah for a Christ-following politician. God may not be trying to take you off of your job. He's trying to make your job sweeter. I have seen this happen so many times. Uh, When... There are times when God is dealing with us as individuals and, and speaking to our hearts and there's a stirring within. We don't necessarily know what it is and we don't have it all defined exactly what it is. But, but, but I, I've seen so many that when God is calling for more of them, they make the mistake, they, they mistake that for a call to preach. God may not be calling you to preach, though he may very well be calling you to preach through your job, preach through your life, preach through your profession. God is not trying to take you off your job. This is what the Word is saying to us today. He's trying to make your job sweeter. But master, we have toiled all night. Notice this. Listen carefully. Jesus does not assert his lordship over Simon Peter in the area of his weakness. He asserts his lordship in the area of his strength. Now, let's just, can we just park there just for a second? He did not assert his lordship over Simon Peter in the area of his weakness, but in his strength. Don't we sometimes get real comfortable with our skins on the wall and, and our, our level of experience and, you know, and how we know how this is supposed to go? We know how, we know how to, I've got this. 
And we're wanting the Lord to help us with the areas where we're not as strong or areas where we see our need is. And yet I think it's pointed and poignant that Jesus came and in, not necessarily in this situation, in, did not, uh, he, he asserted his lordship over his weakness, not over his weakness, but over his strength. That which Peter believed he had conquered and mastered. By a show of hands, how many of you go fishing? Raise, them, raise your hands really high. Got any fishermen in the balcony raising your hand? Okay. Um, I, I, you know, don't, don't lie to me about it because I know there's a lot of fibbing that goes along with fishing stories. <laughs> but if you've at least caught a fish once or twice, you can raise your hand, okay? Um, because there's a lot of us like me that the, I only go fishing in the seafood section of the grocery store. But I do understand something. I understand that nothing puts a real fisherman in a foul mood quicker than when a non-fisherman orders him to do again in a bad situation what he failed to do in a good situation. That will put a real fisherman uh, in a foul mood pretty quickly. Verse 5, Peter said, Lord, we tried all night. We know where the fish are. We know what kind of nets to use. We, we know what kind of lures and, and floats to use. We, we, we do this, Lord, every day for a living. This is not our hobby. Nevertheless, oh, what an important word that is for the believer, for the one who wants to live a life surrendered to lordship of Jesus. Nevertheless, at your word, I will. You're the master and I'm gonna do what you said. Now, he might have followed up with, I already know how this is gonna turn out. We've already tried this, but at your word, I will. Now, Bethesda, I don't know if it was foreknowledge or willpower that made those fish come. I don't know if Jesus knew they were gonna be there or if he made them come. It doesn't matter, no matter. What I do know is that those skilled fishermen were amazed. Now, I'm going to depart from the text and move into conjecture for just a moment. I can almost hear Jesus saying to those men once that happened, I know you think you know, but you can't possibly know like I know. You think you're fishing, but I don't want you to fish. I want you to follow. I'm not really calling you to fish. I'm calling you to follow. And if you follow, then guess what? The fish are going to show up if you follow my command. I'm just wondering, is there anybody here this morning in the house who has ever faced a situation that you did not know how things were going to turn out? Raise your hand if that's true of you. You faced a situation and you did not know how things were going to turn out, but you trusted God in spite of overwhelming evidence to the contrary. And you knew what it was to, to just literally with a sense of abandon. I, you know, I hear people say all the time, you know, if your heart's not in it, don't do it. If your heart's not in it, then, boy, that sounds, I guess, okay. But frankly, when you really think, that's, think that through in terms of kingdom principles, it's hogwash. Just do what the Lord says to do, even when your heart is not in it. Because your heart will soon follow where your mind leads you. 
Sometimes in an act of faith, you just do what God said to do. Whether you feel it or don't feel it. I bet it's possible that some are at church this morning and didn't necessarily feel like getting here today. Don't giggle, I can hear you up here, all right. But I also know what it is to come to church on those days when maybe we didn't, you didn't feel like praising God, but then God moved on your spirit and reminded you of where he brought you from and what you have been through and in spite of what you don't have and, and, and you thanked him for what you do have. And you know what that is to press on through and go beyond. My heart wasn't in it, but once I, I, I made up my mind, I was going to get to the house of God today and I was going to lift my hands and lift my voice and honor and honor him. And your heart will follow your actions. How about an amen right there? So there's two voices that are audible in Peter's reply. The first voice is the voice of a fisherman when he said, we've toiled all night and we haven't caught anything. That's the fisherman talking. That's Peter, the fisherman. But then Peter the faithful speaks up when he says, nevertheless, and I'm just challenging myself as I'm challenging you today, every Christian here this morning. We need to come to the point where our testimony is nevertheless. Nevertheless. That is the word that comes out of someone who surrendered and submitted to the Lordship of Christ. I've got all these reasons against it. I don't like it. I don't want to do it. I don't on, da, 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 on and on. But nevertheless, I don't understand it. I don't know how you're going to work it out. I don't know how you're going to bring it all to pass. I can't see it. I can't understand it. But nevertheless, at your word, I will. Just remember, this is a hard one. You don't have to know why. Some of you are waiting for all the questions to be answered. You don't have to know why. What you need to know is who. Knowing who is far more important than knowing why. Because if you know who, you can count on the fact the why will probably come later. And I, this has been in my, my soul all this morning and late last night. I, I, I dare you, and if it's appropriate to even say from a pulpit, I double dog dare you, if you know what that means, to just trust God when you can't see where exactly where he's taking you. And then watch God open doors that were otherwise closed in your face. I want to remind you of this. God is still well able to prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies. Nevertheless, at your word, I will. And it could be that's what some of you are facing this morning, having to go right into the presence of your enemies. God can prepare a table before you. All the things that might be causing you to resist that which is happening, where God is leading you. Nevertheless, at your word, I will. And then they move from a night of struggle to a morning of surrender. Let me go to verse 6 and 7. When they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. Toiled all night, caught nothing. But now morning comes, and they've surrendered to the lordship of Jesus. And as a result, they have so many fish that their nets are breaking. Church, 
When you trust God in spite of evidence to the contrary, He will make your nets break. How many are ready this morning for your nets to break? Some folks have been trusting in their life experience. Some folks have been trusting in their work experience. Some folks trust their good looks. Some folks trust their street smarts. Others trust their sophistication and their wits. We know this scripture says it this way, some trust in chariots and in horses, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. I am daring you this morning to put all your trust in God and say, God, I don't know how you're going to do it. I don't know how you're going to work this out, but I am in your hands. God, I'm asking you, make my nets break for the glory of the name of Jesus. You know what the Proverbs say, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. Am I giving you the word today? In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. I, Becky and I have been here a long, long, long time. We know the life story of so many in this fellowship. We love you so very much. And I know that I'm looking today at some people whose your, your nets are breaking because I happen to know that you just trusted God you are experiencing the blessing of God, the favor of God. Your nets are breaking because of so many fish because you chose to trust God when other people told you you were nuts. That will never work. That should not happen. But you chose to trust God. And I just want to commend you because you are here in the house of God today because you were just crazy enough to say, nevertheless, at your word, I will. Nevertheless, at your word, I will. I will what? I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. I will lift my hands in the sanctuary. I will open my mouth with a sacrifice of praise. I will tell my testimony everywhere I go. I will shout to the Lord with a voice of triumph. Oh, Bethesda, where are you today? I will give God my highest hallelujah. I will raise a loud anthem to his goodness. I will speak aloud of his mercy. I will tell everyone about his kindness. I will, I will, I will. Gets hard sometimes, but I will. Gets dark sometimes, yep, but I will. After a night of struggle, after a morning of surrender, comes a tomorrow of satisfaction. When their nets started breaking, You read the story a few minutes ago. Jesus had not mentioned sin. But Peter looks at him with an apparent new set of eyes. And he says, depart from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. What an interesting response. What an incredible response. He's just watched Jesus let all those fish fill the nets to such overflowing abundance. Jesus hadn't even mentioned sin. But I just want to say this. When you're in the presence of a holy God, you cannot help but see yourself as you really are. That's what happens when you come into worship. That's what happens when you come into the presence of the Lord. You will see your sin. You will see and feel your inadequacy. You'll be totally aware that he is, I used it a week or so ago, ontologically other, and you are not. Moses said, Who am I to go to Pharaoh? Send my brother Aaron. He's far more eloquent of speech than I am. Moses stuttered and stammered when he spoke. God, don't send me. Send my brother. 
I, I, I'm not adequate. I'm not adequate for that. And God said, Moses, you just open your mouth and I will speak for you. That was the promise of God to him. So Moses decided to go and he said, Lord, I'm going. I'm going. But when I get there, they're going to ask me who sent me and what is his name? The Lord said, you tell them I am that I am sent you. That's who sent you. Isaiah said it was in the year that King Uzziah died that I, I saw the Lord high and lifted up and his train filling the temple. Above it stood seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their face. With two wings they covered their feet. And with two wings they did fly. The house was filled with smoke and the doorposts were shaken by the voice of him that cried. And then I saw the seraphim with a live coal touch my lips with a coal from off the altar. And God said, this has touched your lips. Your sins are forgiven. Your iniquity is purged. And then Isaiah heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then Isaiah said, here am I, send me. Well, maybe you've had a similar experience of being shaken to your core when the Lord spoke to you and when he called you. If you've ever had that, it's, it is an awesome experience. But then the Lord emboldened you and gave you the power to do by the strengthening of the Holy Spirit what you thought you could not do. And you are here in the sanctuary this morning worshiping Jesus. It's only by the grace of God. I want us to remember this and never, 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 never forget but Paul said it to 2 Corinthians in chapter 4. He said, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. That's why we say, nevertheless, at your word, I will. I understand my inadequacies and my failures have been exposed. I understand, God, that you are the all-powerful one, and that's why I surrender to you. And in my surrender, I absolutely know whose power it is. It's not by might, not by power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. Nets were breaking. Boats began to sink. And Peter was so overwhelmed that he said, Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. And I close with this. Jesus said, don't be afraid, Peter, because from now on, you won't be catching fish. From now on, you'll be catching men. Because you catch fish for them to die, but you catch men for them to live. Bethesda, hear the word of the Lord today. Would you stand with me, please? We do thank you, our Father, for the truth of your word. It is sharper than a two-edged sword. Thank you that it cuts deep into us, but also we've been washed and cleansed by your word today. So let us go from this place with a phrase on our lips that says, nevertheless, at your word I will. But Lord, that means we must be sensitive to your voice, sensitive to hear your call, sensitive to hear what you're saying to us. And so we once again, we bring ourselves to your feet, put ourselves before you, submitting ourselves completely to your will and to your way and to your purpose. We are yours to command where you lead us, almighty God. We ask your grace to be upon us in the mighty name of Jesus. Lead us, Pastor Brent.